Luke chapter 8. There we go. Luke chapter 8, we're going to start reading in verse 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start reading in verse 22. Now, I love to read fill-in-the-blank style, so that means if there's a word that I don't say, that is your opportunity to say the word that I do not say, because preaching is a participatory activity. Uh, This is not a spectator sport, okay? Uh, Let's read along. Uh, I'll read, and then if I stop for a pause, that is your turn to say the word that I don't say. One day, Jesus... Uh, that was like, uh, I'll give that 60% of y'all. Come on, let's do that again. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, Jesus fell asleep. No, 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 we're going to stop right here. And can I just give you my pet peeve? Can, I just, can we be real in church? All the Pharisees, you are dismissed. But for all the real people. Ain't it aggravating that when you're going through the worst seasons of your life, Jesus want to take a nap? Ain't it annoying? Come on, anybody with me? Ain't it annoying that, that, that when, when, when it's rainbows and butterflies, when life is good, Jesus is awake. But let a storm break out. And my man want to go to sleep in the middle of my storm. If it was me, if I had it my way, I would reverse this. When life is good, go ahead, take your nap. But when the storm breaks out, come on, Jesus, that's when I need you the the most. I wonder if there's anybody who's ever had the frustration of as long as the season is going well, as long as there's a job, as long as the business is going well, as long as the marriage is going well, it's like you sit down and do your devotions and Jesus then said 18 things to you in 30 minutes. As long as life is going good, Jesus is talking and he's alert and he's giving directions, but then the moment there's an obstacle, the moment there's a problem, the moment there's a storm, all of a sudden you flipping through scripture, can't get a word. It feels like Jesus is knocked out and and, and, and we're going to open up a tab. Uh, I've got ADHD is my superpower. My wife don't agree that it's my superpower, but we're going to, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, it's my superpower. So here we go. We're going to open up this tab. Uh, why is it that Jesus sleeps in the middle of my storm? If anyone who's frustrated like me, we're going to open up that tab, and I promise, you're going to hold me accountable. I promise that we're going to close that tab before the end of the message. Let's keep reading. Um, Jesus said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. They got into a boat. As they sailed out, uh, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Let's, Let's pause right here. I need to investigate this little phrase right here. What do they say? Master, Master. We're going to drown. I need you to see the juxtaposition of the phrase. Master, master, we about to die. Ain't it crazy? Don't judge them. Ain't it crazy how you can sing for a whole 20 minutes about how he's master and then sit in your seat and now your bills have become your master. Ain't it crazy how we can come to church and declare out of our mouth that he is master only for your teenagers who are driving you crazy. 
for your anxiety and your worry and your fear surrounding an issue to now become your master. And I came to remind you today that if he's your master, then he's also the master of the storm. If he's the master, then he's the master of my emotions. If he's the master, then he's the master of what comes out of my mouth. If he's the master, then I'm not allowed to then say, we're going to drown. Matt, see, 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 their, their feelings is talking. We about to die. We scared. We gonna drown. But we've been in church long enough to know we gotta call you master before we talk to you. How often do your true feelings come out, but then you put religiosity on top of your true feelings and you got the nerve to approach Jesus, talk about master, master, we gonna die. Master, master, we don't see a way out. Master, master, I can't afford to tithe. Uh-oh, master, master. What comes after I say, what comes after the word master actually is my master. Master, master, you're not really my master. Master, master, the storm is more my master than you are. And I have not really learned how to master my emotions and master my thoughts and to submit them to your lordship. We just read the Bible. Come on, let's keep talking. Master, master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. And the storm subsided and all was calm. Can, can we talk about that real quick? That was like three of y'all. Can we, can we talk real quick? Now, this is an interesting word that Jesus would get up. And, and what does he do to the storm? He rebukes it. Now, now, come on, for all the parents in the room. Okay, we're about to see who the good parents are. <laughs> because every good parent knows this. I have to instruct ignorance and rebuke rebellion. I can't rebuke a kid if he don't know what he's doing. It's wrong. Uh-oh. Some of y'all are like, nah, I just hit him. <laughs> I don't care if he know or don't know. Just pop him, you know? <laughs> no, I first have to figure out, is the kid ignorant or cognizant? Does the child actually know what they're doing? And if the, if the problem is ignorance, then that means I have to what? instruct I have to teach but if the issue is not ignorance if little Jimmy know Jimmy aware <laughs> looked at you and was like I dare you to hit me you know <laughs> little Jimmy know what Jimmy doing you know if, if, if the kid knows then I don't instruct rebellion I rebuke rebellion I discipline rebellion so here we go, we're going to open up another tab. Come on, ADHD today. <laughs> Let's go. We're going to open up all these tabs. Every time my wife gets my laptop, she's like, how many tabs do you have open on this browser? Well, I said, everybody free. It's okay. Keep all them tabs open. You don't know when you're going to need it. You know what I'm saying? You don't know. You don't know. <laughs> when Chrome come back, it's like, do you want to restore all pages? Yes. <laughs> Every time, yes. Restore all my pages. Next 20 minutes, Chrome just trying to restore all the 153 pages I got opened. <laughs> he gets up, and here we go. We're going to open up a new tab. He doesn't just calm the storm. He rebukes the storm. And I think there's a lot of us, we want Jesus to just bippity-boppity-boo and magically calm our storm. But what if the issue is that Jesus has to rebuke it? Because the storm has become your master. 
So we're going to open up a tab. We're going to close that by the end of the sermon. Why does Jesus rebuke the storm instead of just calming it? Here we go. Jesus asked a very, very pivotal question, and this is kind of where we're going to hang out today. He, he asked this question to his disciples because, remember, for Jesus, the miracle is not just the thing that needs to get done. It's the transformation of your mind. This is why with the woman with the issue of blood, she gets her miracle, but Jesus realizes that it's not over. So he turns around and has a conversation with the woman because the real miracle is not just the problem that she's dealing with. It's that she needs her identity and her dignity restored. And Jesus understands if I do the magic trick for you, but I don't transform how you see yourself, then you have all, you will never come into the fullness of everything I have for you. This is why for Jesus, there's a man with his son who's demon possessed. The boy is spazzing out on the floor and Jesus got the nerve to let the boy spaz out and have a conversation with the man who immediately says, I've, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus has to deal with the unbelief of the dad before he can do the magic trick for the boy because Jesus is not just a magician. Jesus wants to transform your faith and transform your mind and transform your soul so that you can sustain the miraculous thing that he wants to do in your life so he gets the storm handled and immediately breaks out into a conversation and here's his question where is your where is your faith now i think that a lot of us we misinterpret this we assume that what jesus is saying is y'all ain't got no faith we immediately take this as a diss but let's be real. If I rolled up on you and I said, where is your car? That means you have a car. If I said, where is your husband? That ain't me asking you in faith. <laughs> where is your husband? Means you got a husband. <laughs> One that doesn't belong to somebody else. Anyway. <laughs> Woo. If I ask you, where's your husband? That means you have a, if I said, where's your son? Where's your daughter? That means you have a son or daughter. When Jesus says, where is your faith? He's not saying you don't have faith. He's saying you do have faith. It's just that it's in the wrong place. Oh, I'm going to preach this like I feel it. Because there's a lot of us who think you have a faith problem. You don't have a faith problem. You have a location problem. The issue is not the abundance of faith. The issue is that your faith is in the wrong stuff. Your faith is in your boyfriend. Your faith is in your job. Your faith is in your 401k. Your faith is in the government. Your faith is in stuff that will ultimately fade away with this world. But I've come to declare today that you've got to get your faith rooted and planted into the imperishable into the eternal into something that's never gonna change where is my faith I've got my faith firmly planted on the foundation that will never change my security is not based on whether you like me my faith comes with the fact that I've received an identity from God that is unshakable and irrevocable. The fact that I am a son or a daughter of God is a thing that my faith is in. Not whether or not you like or follow or subscribe, baby. In the culture that we are living in, we got a lot of people with their faith in stuff that will ultimately fade away and disappoint you 
and leave you empty and broken? Jesus has an important question. Where is your faith? See, Jesus knows how to quantify faith. He actually does it really, really well. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus quantifies faith all the time. To one person, to the centurion, he says, oh, you got great faith. Whole lot of faith. You got great faith. And then to the one with the issue of blood, he's like, your faith made you well. And then this is my favorite backhanded compliment in the whole Bible. There's one moment where Jesus actually does say to the disciples, you have little faith. And then the next verse he goes, but even the faith of a mustard seed can move a mountain. It's like a backhanded compliment. Essentially, Jesus saying, your faith is whack, but it'll do. You know? It's like, like, your faith is trash, but I mean, <laughs> we can work with it. You know? So Jesus knows how to quantify faith. This passage is not a passage where he's quantifying faith. He's not trying to figure out how much faith they have. He actually wakes up and he realizes that the power of faith is operating on the boat. The only issue is that their faith is not in him, but their faith is misplaced. Oh, I've got good news and bad news for a lot of us today. The good news is this, you've got a lot of faith. Oh, you've got so much faith. The bad news is that you've used all that faith and you've placed it in stuff that keeps disappointing you and keeps coming up short. You've got faith. It's just that you've placed the faith in every man you've ever dated instead of actually placing the faith in the one who can give you the man of your dreams. The issue is not that you don't have faith. The issue is that you've got a whole lot of it, but it's working against you instead of working for you. Because if I put my faith in the wrong thing, faith is like anything else. It can become a weapon or a tool. You put a hammer in my hand, I don't know what I may do but I could destroy some stuff or build some stuff. The quality of the item is based on the hand that you put it in. Faith is not positive or negative. Faith works for you when your faith is in God. Faith will work against you if your faith is in anything but God. Oh, I'm gonna step on some toes, I'm gonna step on some toes. Oh, okay, this is for the millennials in the room. I'm a millennial, come on. If you're in my generation, here we go, uh-oh. This is why we got a whole bunch of millennials leaving church. Talk about, see, pastors can't be faithful, and pastors ain't this, and pastors ain't that, so I'm going to leave the church. Let me help you. As long as Jesus Christ, the groom, is faithful to his bride, then my happy hip's going to be in church. Because my faith is not in a person holding a microphone. My faith ain't in a preacher. My faith is not in a communicator. My faith is not in a pastor. My faith is in the fact that God sent his son to die for the church. That means I'm going to be volunteering. I'm going to be tithing. I'm going to be giving. I'm going to be faithful. Whether I don't care who's not faithful today, wife. Uh-oh. We ain't going to condone sin. Sin is sin. We can call sin sin. But how you, how you left church for five years? Just because somebody else wasn't faithful to the call of God on their life. What your consequent actions have proven is that your faith was not in the Jesus who called you into this. But your faith was in the gift and the integrity of a person who is a fallible human being. Oh, where is 
keep, give, me, give me the verse again. Come on, let's keep going. We got to read the passage of scripture. Come on, let's do this. Where's your faith? He asked the disciples. Get this, in fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? It's a great question. Whose man's is this? <laughs> who, who is this? Okay. He commands, ooh, even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Oh, we're going to open up one more tab. We're going to close that. We're going to open up. We can, you're like, this is the limit. Three is the limit, you know? <laughs> last tab, last tab, last tab. Here we go. Why does it take a calming of the storm for them to be this impressed with Jesus? Because we all got some hoops that we need Jesus to jump through before we get impressed with him. And this may seem like a positive end to this passage, but it's actually an indictment on the disciples. Come on, let's pray. God, we ask that you would add a blessing to the reading of your word today. God, in the time I've got left, help me to change a paradigm for your people today so that we can actually operate in the full measure of the faith we already have. Help us not to gain faith, but to relocate our faith and to actually put it where it belongs. We ask that in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, and we all say together, amen. Where is your faith? Where is your faith? In order for us to actually answer that question, there's actually a couple of words that I'm gonna need us to redefine because in order to answer the question of where their faith is, it's gonna require that we actually have a new paradigm because if we just continue to look at this passage of scripture the way that we've always looked at this passage of scripture, we'll just assume that what Jesus is saying is that you don't have a lot of faith. So I actually want to shift a couple of words for us, just a couple of words so that we can actually come to the passage of scripture and actually answer Answer the question of where was the faith of the disciples so that we can ultimately answer this question. Where's our faith? I, I want to uh, reframe one word. I'm going to reframe, give you a new paradigm for, for a couple of words. Here's the first word. Anxiety. Let's talk about anxiety. Come on. This is a very relevant Sunday at church. Time magazine, Newsweek magazine. Uh, I was walking into a CVS recently and the cover of the magazine said we're living in the age of anxiety where the majority of people are saying that they feel an anxious presence with them on a consistent basis. So here we go. What is anxiety? Are you ready for me to help you reframe anxiety? 18 of y'all. Come on, let's try that again. Are you ready for me to help you reframe anxiety? I actually got good news. Here's, here's my definition of anxiety. Anxiety is the proof that you are creative. I just set people free. I set you free. You ain't even ready. You weren't even ready. Yo, guard was so up. You was like, is he about to offend me? <laughs> Come on. Anxiety is the proof that you're creative. Uh, um, the proof of creativity is not whether or not you're a fashion designer or a graphic designer or a videographer. Mm -mm. You have not met a creative person until you've met an anxious person. Because an anxious person has created scenarios about tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. Well, if this person get elected, this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to move to Canada. <laughs> You've just created all types of scenarios. You want to know what anxiety really is? It's faith working against you. The anxious person has used in their God-given imagination, their God-given creativity, and created a scenario, and you believe in the scenario so much, you've traveled into the future. 
you've gotten anxious about the future that you created and then you came back into today it ain't gonna work out it's gonna be bad it's <laughs> let me help you guess what you just did you practice faith you practiced using your imagination and your creativity to go into the future to create a world that did not exist until you imagined it and until you created it. And if you can use your imagination and your creativity to create doom, disaster, and destruction, then guess what you can also do? You can use that same God-given imagination and creativity to get a God dream for your life and to bring blessing into your today. I declare that your mind belongs to God. You better get a harness over your imagination. We rebuke the devil in every lie that he's told you and we remind you your mind belongs to God. Your mind belongs to the Holy Ghost. You better get over your inability to harness your mind. While you're busy rebuking anxiety, I'm telling you, you don't need to rebuke it. You need to harness it. Harness it. Niagara Falls, interestingly enough, you know, Niagara Falls has the power to destroy hundreds of thousands of homes. As we've seen with any major flood. Water floods in a neighborhood, it can destroy homes. But guess what Niagara Falls also has the power to do? The Niagara Falls hydroelectric plant gives power to hundreds of thousands of homes across North America. Now imagine if I went and rebuked the water. That'd be pretty ignorant. Because as I rebuke it, I'm also canceling out the positive. Byproduct of what happens when you learn how to harness the raw power. You don't want to rebuke anxiety. You know why? You need your imagination. You need your creativity. And all anxiety is proving is that you have a lot of faith. You just put your faith in the wrong place. See, I'm helping you to what? Reframe. Give you a new paradigm. You've been struggling with anxiety. You're not doomed. You've been struggling with anxiety. There's hope. You've been struggling with anxiety. Here's the deal. Can you offer your mind back to God? Can you say to the enemy, my mind doesn't belong to you? Oh, and here's a harder one. Can you say to yourself, my mind doesn't belong to you? Because as long as my mind belongs to me, I have to take care of it. Come on, I learned that difference when I went from being a tenant to being a property owner. When I was a tenant, the dishwasher broke down. I just called the landlord. Yo, dishwasher broke. You may want to come down here and fix your dishwasher because <laughs> your dishwasher broke. This ain't my dishwasher. But then I became, I, I owned my first piece of property and the dishwasher broke. And I was like, my dishwasher broke. <laughs> as long as your mind is yours, you have to fix it. As long as your mental health is yours, you have to create a solution. But the moment you say, no, 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 God, this mind that you've given me, it doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to the enemy. It belongs to you. And you're the only authorized fixer of this thing. Don't act like you ain't never cracked your screen on your phone. And instead of going to an authorized, 
don't act like you ain't never just got your cousin to just order a new screen on eBay and they fixed it. And then you went in to trade your phone in and they went, it seems like you've tampered with the device. You voided your warranty by tampering with this device. Don't act like your natural reaction in your brokenness is to go get some girlfriend or some boyfriend to actually begin to fix you when really they're not authorized to even deal with the level of brokenness that you brought in to the relationship. If they're not authorized, oh, I'm going to take my brokenness to the manufacturer. I'm going to take my brokenness back to the only one who can actually heal me and put the broken pieces of my life together because my faith ain't in nobody promising that they can fix me because you're not my solution. God is the thing that can actually fix me. Come on, can we reframe one more word? One more word? Worry. Worry. What is worry? Now, I've told y'all I got ADHD. I've had ADHD for a very long time. And um, uh, I used to be on medication for ADHD. No shame. But then I got married to my beautiful wife over here, and she has all this faith that, like, you don't need medication, you know what I'm saying? So she just be, like, praying for me, and it be working kind of. So, uh, jury's still out, you know? It's hit or miss. On Tuesdays, it works. Thursdays, not so much, you know? So, like, um, um, let me tell you what works better than any ADHD medication I've ever had. Worry. Let you be worried about something. Worry will make you focus like nobody's business. Be worried. You could, have, you could go to coffee with somebody and you having a face-to-face -face conversation and 10 minutes into the conversation, you'd be like, girl, I didn't listen to nothing. You were saying, you know, my son on the weed, girl. My son, he's smoking and I'm, he's on the weed and I'm just so stressed. <laughs> on the weed. <laughs> Some of y'all like, the weed? <laughs> what is the weed? <laughs> I'm old. <laughs> the weed. Let me help you. Oh, I feel it. If you can worry, you can worship. Because all worry is, is a prolonged focus on the problem and if you can get your mind to focus on a problem then you can get your mind to focus on the God who's already got the solution for the problem if you can focus on the issue you can focus on the Lord who's over the issue if you can focus on all the things that aren't working out for you then you can uh, you can harness your mind and begin to focus on all the things that are working for you because get this God is an ever-present help in a time of trouble. Ever-present help. Ever, ever, present, present, present. You know I'm in this doctoral program right now, so, so sorry if I throw a nerd card at you, okay? I'm gonna just drop the nerd card, okay? June 8th, 2024, I graduate as Dr. Manny Arango, so it's okay. You know what I'm saying? Let's go. Uh, so here we go. Present, present, present. Present means pre-sent. Pre-sent. So God sees the problem that you're going to face in 2026. 
Your anxiety's already in 2026, but God is actually in 2026. You making up scenarios about 2026, but he's already in 2026 because he saw that there was a problem and decided, let me go ahead and pre send myself into 2026. So when you get to 2026, you've got a decision to make. Am I going to focus on the problem or am I going to let my discernment kick in and tell me that God got here before I ever got here? Therefore, my response is to worship in the middle of the valley because God will not forsake me or leave me alone in the middle of my trouble. He's an ever- present help in the time of trouble which means when I hit trouble I've got a decision to make am I going to worry about the problem or worship the preset God who's already been here before I got here come on you learning anything in church today come on. let's close our tabs so where was the faith of the disciples where was their faith We've reframed our perspective enough to now answer the question. Their faith is right in what they said. Master, master, we're going to drown. Their faith is in the storm. Because guess what we're going to drown sounds like? Faith, confidence. They don't say, we may drown. They don't say, Jesus, context clues would suggest. Drowning is imminent. They bold with it. We're going to drown. Conviction. We're going to drown. Because faith is not just always positive. Faith is neutral. And what you put your faith in. In determines whether or not the faith is going to work for you or against you. So their faith is in a storm. Oh, let me help you. You know what's interesting? Is that in the Old Testament, can, can, can we get it a little nerdy? Nerdy, okay? In the Old Testament, the dominant idol that the people of Israel were always drawn to worship was this idol named Baal. Baal. You know what's interesting? Baal is actually the storm god in the Old Testament. And you know, when the enemy wants you to have faith in him and to worship him, the devil does not come to your door, ring the doorbell, show up on your ring. Notification, the devil's outside. <laughs> Walk to the door with your oil. <laughs> like, what you want? Because the enemy knows you'll never bow down and worship him. Let's not get it twisted. The enemy has wanted one thing for all of time. What got him kicked out of heaven? He got kicked out of heaven because he wanted to receive glory instead of reflect glory. What does he say to Jesus? Jesus in the wilderness. If you would just bow down and worship me. See, the enemy wants worship more than he wants anything else. And he knows you are too saved to just show up on a ring, pitchfork and horns, talking about worship me. Oh, so what does the enemy do? He wraps himself in the winds and the waves of life. All he has to do is get you anxious about stuff and get you worried about stuff and get you scared 
and get you shook. All he has to do is get you to get your faith out of the word that God has spoken over your life and put your faith in a storm that claims to destroy your life. The only thing the enemy has to do in order to get worship from you is not ask you to lift your hands or bow down, but to get you so consumed with the problem that it's all you talk about now. Here we go. We're going to close this tab. This is why Jesus rebukes the storm. He rebukes the storm because he wakes up and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This storm is not just a natural storm. Because come on, let's be real. The storm just storming. Why, why Jesus rebuking a storm? for just, It's water just watering. Wind just winding. Just... The storm doing what it do. But no, Jesus detects that the storm is actually a supernatural distraction meant to steal the disciples' faith and their wonder and their awe and their peace. Because whatever you give your attention to, you will eventually give your allegiance to. And if you give your allegiance to it, you will give your faith to it. And if you give your faith to it, you will give your worship to it. Do not be deceived. The way that the enemy gets you to worship him is not inviting you to some occult uh, ceremony where we all gonna play Ouija. No, 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 no. The way that the enemy gets your worship is to distract you to steal your focus so that you can be in this room in the middle of actual worship but be thinking about all your problems here we go let's land the plane so where should their faith have been it's a great question their faith is in the storm we see that their faith is in the storm their faith isn't the problem because faith is not positive or negative. Faith is neutral. Their faith is in the issue, the obstacle, the problem. I want you to throw up Luke chapter 8, verse 22. Because the passage tells us where their faith should have been. Luke chapter 8, verse 22. One day Jesus. One day Jesus. Because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So that word right there said is a massive clue as to where their faith should have been. Jesus said, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they get in the boat and they head to the other side of the lake. In the middle of the journey, a storm breaks out. When a storm breaks out, there's only one relevant question. Storm, I see you. I ain't impressed. Because I got one question for you, Storm. Are you the other side of the lake? Because God is not a man that he should lie. Or the son of man that he would change his mind. If he spoke it, he's going to complete it. If he told me that we're getting to the other side of the lake, then I got one job. Put one foot in front of the other and keep on moving I'm gonna keep choosing faith I'm gonna get to the other side of the lake I'm gonna get oh I'm gonna preach it till you get it I'm gonna get to the other side of the lake there's no devil in hell that's gonna stop me there's no obstacle that's gonna block me I'm getting to my destiny 
promise. God is faithful. And my faith, woo, my faith is in what he said, not in what I see. My faith is not in the storm I see. My faith is in the word that he spoke. Oh, my faith, my faith, my faith, my faith. It's funny, can I be vulnerable with y'all? My, June, my, my, my freshman and sophomore year of college, I went buck wild. I started preaching at 12 and I became a prodigal. I was just wilding, hanging out with stupid people, dating dumb people. Don't, don't judge me. Let's not pull up yo freshman, sophomore year of college and put it on a big screen. I'm wilding. And I remember I had like, I had a, a, a church mama as a mama. My mama could smell sin. I made a mistake, came to her house, and she just looked at me. She's like, your life's a mess. And I was like, well, thank you. <laughs> you know, Hi, how you doing? You know. And she said, stay right here. I was in her living room. She said, stay right here. She went to her bedroom and she got a journal. She said, I've had this journal since I was pregnant with you. When I was three months pregnant with you, God told me you were going to be a prophet to the nations. When I was six months pregnant with you, God told me that you were set apart for the ministry. When I was seven months pregnant with you, God gave me a word to pray over my pregnant stomach because God told me you were going to be a Nazarite, set apart from God. When I started, I put you in a Christian school when you were five years old because God told me to teach you the word because I got a promise. I'm not distracted by the storm of your sin because I got a word when I was pregnant with you and the word will sustain me the word is the evidence that I need the word is where my faith is in the word is the thing that will make me look at a storm and say storm be still you're not gonna get my attention today my faith is not in you my faith is the imperishable seed of the word of God that he put on the inside of me where is your faith? Do you have a journal? We're in the middle of fear. You can look back and say, God already talked to me about this. God gave me a word about this. And God's word is going to come to pass. Let God be true. Even if it makes every man a liar. I don't care what the doctor is saying. God can do it. Don't care what the loan officer is saying. God can do it. Don't care what your therapist is saying. God can do it. Don't care what no... God can do it. He can do exceeding and abundantly above all that you can ask or think or imagine. He's for you, not against you. God can do it. And God is faithful. And I got a word that I'm standing on. Hey! Shut that up. Last thing I'm going to say, and then we're going to pray and get out of here. Why did Jesus sleep during the storm? Oh, I do a lot of traveling, which means random people that I don't know consistently pick me up from airports. That is my life. Every week, somebody I don't know meets me at an airport and I get in their car. Guess what I never do? When I'm in a stranger's car, it don't matter how tired I am, 
I never recline the seat and just go, yeah, tell me when we get to church. Wake me up when we get there. Nope. My eyes is open. I am alert. I, I am like, do you have a driving record? Like this. I'm concerned. But let me come back to Dallas. And one of our ministry partners gets me from the airport. Or the dude who challenges me a lot, his name is Sam Perkins. Let Sam get me from the airport. We won't even hit the end of the terminal. And my seat is already reclined and I'm already knocked out. Because I only fall asleep when I'm in a vessel with somebody I trust. The reason that Jesus can fall asleep in the middle of your storm is because he knows you heard the directions of where we're going. Jesus falling asleep means he trusts you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He has not abandoned you. He fell asleep because he trusts you. He trusts you with a storm. He trusts you with a struggle. He trusts you with problems. want to know who that's for you feel like Jesus is sleeping through your storm right now your prayers God where are you I can relate I hear you can I tell you something though the teacher never talks when there's an exam in progress maybe it's not that he's abandoning you maybe it's that he's actually trying to turn you into a skillful sailor who can navigate some waters if that's you, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. You feel like God's far from you? You feel like God's abandoned you? We rebuke the lie of the enemy right now. And we remind you of every promise that God's ever spoken over your life. He's never left you. He's never forsaken you. He's for you, not against you. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. It's actually the most important moment of the service. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed. I got a question. Do you identify as a Christian? Are you sure of your eternal salvation? Maybe you're in the room today, you got invited, but you would not say you're a Christian. We wanna give you an opportunity to hit the restart button on your life. None of what I'm saying can actually be applied if you don't first surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus. So if you're in the room with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I got a question for you. Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Have you given your life to Jesus Christ? If you've heard something today that's made you go, you know what, I need to get back in church. I need to put my faith in Jesus. I, I need to change my life. This isn't for Christians, this is for those who don't identify as Christians. If that's you, you wanna surrender your life to Jesus today. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, can you just throw your hand up? Just throw your hand up, just throw your hand up. I see your hand, I see your hand. You just throw your hand up. I see your hand, I see your hand. I see your hand, hands going up all over the room. I see your hand in the back, I see your hand. I see your hand. You came to the right place today. Come on, let's pray this together. Everybody in the room, repeat after me. Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son to die in my place. Today, I give you my life. I confess with my mouth. I believe in my heart that you are Lord, that you're my savior, that you died, that you rose again, and you're coming back 
for your church. I declare, I, come on, I am a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new is here. If you just prayed that prayer for the first time or for the first time in a long time, welcome to the family. We declare God's forgiveness and grace and mercy over your life. Social, I love you. Come on, let's worship.